A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us in the section we're reading today. I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You can think of us as your drunk weekly book club. Well, if you think about a drunk weekly book club, you probably think of procrastinators. I am one of those apparently this week in that I finished reading this section five minutes ago. Yeah, so, so you were 30 I mean, minutes late and then you had two pages left to read. <laughs> So I made him sit there in silence while I read. Yeah. (laughs) But get this, it's going to be fresh in my mind. So you're going to get some snappy responses from me today. That's that's fair. I'll uh, I'll take that. I actually today, PJ, literally re-listened to the whole first chunk of the book up until where we are on audiobook. In addition to have actually read it ahead of time. Well, some of us are productive members of society. I was working all day as well. No, it was actually really good. Part of the reason I wanted to uh, do that is because I know that some people potentially listening along might be listening to the audiobook. And Tim Gerard Reynolds is a phenomenal narrator, and I just want to be able to talk to that a little bit. So I'm going to kind of double dip weekly. Okay. Because That's I understand it's an audiobook. So uh, just yeah. to be able to speak to it because there is something about his enunciation, his pronunciation, and his characterization that comes through better there, there are very few narrators in the audiobook world that i think truly enhance the text he is the one that mm-hmm. does i mentioned to you at the beginning of the weekend that i had a pretty busy weekend coming up so um you offered to share with me your audible password and i refused one because i didn't think i'd have time to actually listen to it and two because i feel like that'll like be too tempting to just skip actually reading it yeah that's forward. fair that's fair. That's why I was, I kind of, I did that with hesitation. And then I was like, mm, maybe mm-hmm. that's not a good idea because the idea is yeah, to get no, you No, I'd rather, I'd rather read. actually just start reading it. And I'm having a, bl- like, it is, it is, it's sucking me in, man. That's good. I'm really that's enjoying good. it. So today we'll be discussing uh, part two of Red Rising, subtitled Reborn. But first, <laughs> let's talk about what we're drinking. This week I actually have a cocktail. Ooh. Believe it or not. I don't have a name for it. What is it? It is either five ingredients or three, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> and I feel like you're going to lean towards three because of the, the judging from last time. But it is Irish whiskey. Again, my bottle of uh, teeling with uh, ginger ale and lemonade from Canada Dry and cran mango from Motion Spray. Yeah, see, you're mingling a lot of flavors together, but they're coming from <laughs> one bottle. So like, <laughs> that's like saying using a margarita mix counts as all of the ingredients inside of the margarita. Does mix. it not and make I it just, a margarita, though? I It does make it a margarita, but you're you're cheating the so, process. So the a mix, margarita okay. is only a cocktail if it's not coming out of a single bottle. That's no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm only I'm saying it has more than just the prerequisite mix alcohol and a lime wedge plus ice versus yeah. actually making whatever constitutes margarita mix, orange juice, Sprite, etc. whatever, whatever you do. Orange juice and Sprite? That's precisely my margarita mix. No, I'm <laughs> obviously kidding. Tons and tons and tons of limes, lemons, oranges, whatever. I don't know if I've uh, ever seen an orange go into a margarita before. Orange? Really? Yeah. I don't know. 
I'm sure it tastes good. It sounds awesome. Yeah. So I, I like oranges. I'm having cocktail as well. I'm having myself here a nice little gin and juice, uh, but it is gin, orange juice, lemon lime soda, Sprite, and a little. So that's orange. where that's where orange juice and Sprite came from. Was what you're drinking of right course. now. You're yeah. drinking, by your definition, a gin margarita. <laughs> I didn't say that was all that went into a margarita. I kind of said whatever and waved it off. <laughs> Good deal. Yep. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it's pretty tasty. And then uh, to mm-hmm. Chase, I've got a little schnifter of whiskey and a standard stone FML through movie lines. I've got, um, so this week it's Raining Threes, which is a hazy double IPA with Vic Secret, Mosaic, and Citra. Clocks in at 8.9%. So we have a ton to cover today. This is actually the longest chunk of a book that we've read and recorded for the podcast ever on episode two. Because the previous one was like 50, but also even in our test episodes, this is way longer. I think the longest, the longest we ever read in the test episodes, I think was 70. Somewhere between 70 and 80. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. This was 85. So yeah, I, I got, I got a package delivery. I think I sent you a picture of it, but yeah. um, I bought the next four books. So now I have all five, all in hardcover. They all look really nice together. I'm excited to put up my bookshelf prominently display them because they're pretty books it is a whole ass thing we're doing a whole ass thing man <laughs> it's and it just there's so many questions already <laughs> there's so many questions there's so much book there's so many books how how does any of this happen how does one book right how does how does one story yeah so just starting off right on off the bat we, we awake with darrow having just like gotten his nip snacked and snapped in theory snack and the, the title itself is chap, is titled Lazarus. Lazarus is in the biblical gospel of John is one of the miracles that Jesus performs, which brings a man back to life four days after he's dead. That man was obviously one and a third time stronger than Jesus. <laughs> is that how it worked? His heart yeah. is one and a third time stronger. Just number of days, number of days <laughs> dead. Jesus could only handle three. True. True. This motherfucker yeah. took four. It did take four. And, uh, <laughs> Dar- we we find out quickly that Nerol actually drugged him um, with the drink that they shared, and that allowed uh, for their- we don't confirm that though. That's that's uh, no, it is confirmed. When does it get confirmed? That's he, just uh, he says he drugged him. He yeah, that's his that's his assumption, but oh, he doesn't. I think like I guess it kind I thought, he I doesn't the conversation with dancer. He kind of confirms. It. He mentions it, but he, he never denies yeah, he, he it. But it never he doesn't confirm it either. You're right. You're right. Dancer kind of shrugs it off, right? So like he's like the last time I had a drink, I got drugged, and uh, dancer kind of like laughs off, and then continues. Yeah. with conversation. You're right. right. The whole I assume it's probably cool. true, but there's no confirmation of that. So I will not let you get away with that shit, Crossland. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> So we proceed to watch an escape right from the underground. And I think the the quote that stands on this first page with me is, you know, I lose a soundless scream because he thinks that he's being buried under the dirt and he's still like awake and alive. But he's not in reality. Harmony and God, what was the other guy's name? Some little piece of shit that doesn't really matter. Wait, no, he <laughs> he is under the dirt. Well, it takes me. Uh, I cannot breathe. I cannot move. The earth hugs me until I finally claw my way free. Feel air, gasp, oxygen, pant, and spit dirt. Because what's the next? Dirt enters my mouth. It's minutes before I look up from my knees. I crouch in an abandoned mine. Oh, yeah. An old okay. tunnel. Yeah, he was buried alive. Well, that's fair. 
Barry Hafted. You're right. You're right. Whoops. Yeah, I mean, that's that's bad. But they knew that he was going to get out, right? Because Harmony's basically waiting there for him. Yeah, they're like, what's up, dude? Yeah, they're like, dude, you're late. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, hey, you're finally okay. awake. And they're in the October knocked masks, right? Like the scary kind of. I I immediately imagined uh, Kabuki like. I don't so did know I. if there's any tradition, but I, I don't know either. I I absolutely imagine Kabuki masks. I have, I have no idea, but that was exactly what it evoked. The the sort of demonic description. I just thought red. I thought that that exact. Yep. Horned look. Uh, I don't. I don't or, have any confirmation, but that is exactly what was in my mind. Yeah, something like that. I just imagined Kabuki, but red or like horned devil ish mask. Mm-hmm. And there's like fucking Ralph with his snarling bat mask or whatever. Similar. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, we get introduced to like Dan. We get introduced to the idea of like dancers here. Dancer was mentioned only before when Nerl was mentioning the veil, like when, when he inevitably dies and sees him in the afterlife, but dancer is real and alive. And we find out that he's been rescued by the sons of Ares. How'd you, how'd you feel about that? I, I felt like it made sense. I felt like if, if he's going to be awake and he's going to survive death, they seem like the kind of nefarious counterculture, if you want to call them that group, that would be behind something like that. Yeah, so that makes sense. So what do you think? I mean, obviously, we, we learned throughout the section what the true motive of Ares is to some degree, right? But do you think you, you said that you use the word nefarious? Do you think that they have evil intentions? Or do you think that it's truly? Just no, but I, I but but that's that's how he's been brought up to. Yeah, like, I, I think they're they're a true like group of rebellion and group of revolutionaries. Yeah, but of course, with the drip feed of information that they've received as the like as the mining colonies, of course they're going to be painted as a terrorist group, mm-hmm. and anything bad that happens is going to be blamed on them. So oh, yeah, I said nefarious more in the perspective of how Darrow is probably brought up and probably knows of them. But no, absolutely, they're they're the rebels. They're the revolutionaries. They're the the uprising. Yeah, so we we leave Lycos you now with with these Sons of Aries members to go meet Dancer and whatnot in a, in a mine mine car, which I thought was described super interestingly in kind of the way that they pass through. And it's like they don't matter because it's not that big of a deal, you know. Darrow, one person escaping or leaving isn't a big deal because there are billions. It's just a it's normal passing, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we we definitely get another glimpse of the culture on the whole on the with the Reds when uh, looking at Dancer. He's described as thick and terribly old in his 40s. It's like just this concept of someone being in their 40s and being labeled as terribly old, terribly old. But yeah, I just (laughs) they're just the description still and the language, I think, are really important in this section, especially as we get later into uh, the carving and Mateo and things like that. I think it's I think it's very interesting how his worldview has to shape and adapt to others. And I think Pierce Brown, the reason I call this out is because I think Pierce Brown did a really good job of crafting that world in a very limited space and giving us a language that we then abandon to some degree. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think that that's really well done and it's hard to point out something like that when you're in it the first time before you like leave it. I don't know. You kind of have to build. So I know I ripped pretty hard on the first section of this book when we were going through it, but it's kind of necessary that it exists the way that it does. Okay, so 
I think the whole scene of the warehouse, you know, being confronted by Dancer walking down the hallway, you know, treating Darrow's wounds um, as he gets like sent away with Harmony and everything feels very like Matrix. It feels like very much like a Neo and Morpheus meet for the first time. Yeah. Kind of a thing. But yeah, he's it, it seems very he knows what he's ushering in kind of he, the, the almost trying to be a father figure because of his knowledge of what he's going to be putting this kid through. Yeah. And stepping into that role. I mean, he obviously he also explains kind of the, the history of Darrow's family because he knows it because they were members. You know, his dad was a was an informant. And that's part of the reason that he got hang, hung ultimately is he got caught. Not that mm-hmm. he abandoned his family or did something else wrong. It, that was the reason that he died. We never really knew why. And that was a part of the reason that Nero joined is because of the awfulness that happened to you know, his brother. Right. I think I think that that's very interesting. One of the one of the things that I kind of skipped over a bit earlier is Harmony says martyrs are a dime a dozen talking about EO. Yeah. She like, like spits how, it almost. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh, it's like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> like, this is so <laughs> intensely personal and important. How? <laughs> Like, this is the only thing driving me to stay alive right now. And you're going to, like, downplay it like it doesn't fucking matter. You're going to shit on it? I'm going to beat you up later when I'm really big. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, yeah, no, it does It does feel, like, very interesting to see that from her perspective and being like, whatever. People like this die all the time. Like, the, what's the difference? She was televised? Like, it very much kind of has that, that read. And she yeah. doesn't get how intensely personal that relationship is, of course. But, you know, Harmony's, like... Kind of, without saying it, she's kind of like, do you think we've all lost someone? That's kind of her attitude, if you were to respond anyway. Yeah, it it was uncaring, you're not special, like, this is is just how it is. Everyone's gone through this. Oh yeah, yeah. There's something that finishes off that little section too that I really liked. You know, obviously all the Reds aren't alone in this, and pretty much at this point we're just presented with the Reds. At the very, on, on page 60... She says, or he asks, Darrow asks, then what is your purpose? She holds up her hands, cake with dirt and blood, the same as yours, little hell diver, to make the dream come true. And so then she references back to Yo's dream, you know, which is real. And that's what Dancer was trying to say in the room before as well, is like, the dream is real, regardless of whether or not it's Yo's dream or anyone's dream. The dream of rebellion, the dream of being free is worth whatever the cost. Yeah. And so we get a little bit of that insight as to why she's like martyrs are a dime a dozen because we all know what we need to do. And and martyrs, like think about it from this case, martyrs are a necessity, but what's even more of a necessity is somebody to take up that martyrdom and to act on it. And that seems more rare. Right, right. And that's like really they, what they're asking Darrow they're, to do. Exactly. Like they're there to instill hope from the perspective of the mass majority of people, but- what they really need and what they're really looking for is somebody to take that act, that crime, very final act. No. What do you mean? Wait, well, what? it's it's criminal to the the people who are being. So it's criminal to the Reds that EO is killed in the way that she's killed. Right. Okay. I thought it's unjust. I, yeah, I was yeah. looking at it from the perspective of what what EO did, not what her like, but looking at her actions, taking on additional action beyond that that seems like a much less common thing thing i mean and that can be applied to a lot of real world examples of martyrdom and of like it brings attention but it doesn't necessarily bring action absolutely so i think something that should 
probably has came through at this point is Brown has no reverence for history. Truly any myth, any gospel, anything that's been spoken of, he incorporates in some way, shape or form. And everything that he writes about is very clearly inspired by something that's real world, not dreamy in like the normal sci-fi sense of things except for like the very sci-fi tools. Those are really the only things that are dreamy. Everything else is very much grounded in a sort of brutal future reality. And so okay. a lot of this kind of has that historical context of martyrdom. You know, it, would, it wouldn't be a stretch for me to say he probably went to Joan of Arc, read her Wikipedia page, read a book, and then went, perfect. This, this is exactly the kind of person that I want to step in front and be a martyr. You know, and like just he with almost everything, there's an example pulled from history. Nero's another example. Yeah, you know, like we had talked about before, Octavia to an extent. They're they're all very kind of it seems innocuous, but it's all there if you read a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of interpreting it. Less right. less like it's a direct carbon copy, but more it's it's a inspiration, it's mimetic. So uh liquid flush. Darrow's uh, Darrow's kind of like, what the fuck is a shower, right? Right. That's that was interesting. I thought I did like the term liquid flush, though. We we get it. We get a couple of things too in the exchange between Darrow and Dancer that happens a little bit later. You know, as he's bringing him to the surface um, after the test, right? So he gets the test where he has the cards. So the first before <laughs> before we get to where I was, the cards and uh, Darrow's quickly like, well, this is obviously a ploy. This is obviously a game that's meant against me. He just fucking eats the other one. Like, <laughs> just yeah. snarfs it. But then shows the shows the other scythe mm-hmm. says, look, I won. Here's proof based on the rules you gave me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's brought and, up later with the fish thing, too. Right. It's just. Yeah. A- and they bring it up later, but it was very clever. Very well done. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously but, it's, a, it's a ploy to build more character in Darrow. Oh, yeah. But it also like all I thought about was uh, Always Sunny, where Max starts eating the contracts. Yeah, that's that's an episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nope, <laughs> you can't prove it. But obviously done with a little bit more tact here. And also and, uh, forethought. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's that's natural when comparing Always Sunny to a book. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that's interesting here, too, is something that you literally read out loud while you were sitting in the Discord channel reading the last two pages. Yep. The card is a scythe. Right. And that's brought up again at the very end of this chapter. Yep. So it, it just feels all the more relevant. Also, the sling, blade, it out the sling blade it looks like a scythe. Right. As well. Yes, it does. So it's all it's all kind of a circle. It's all a circle. Mm-hmm. How would you think of the explanation of the difference between uh, Ares and Mars that he gets the romanticized version? Yeah, I remember thinking about it. I'm not sure what to take from it. Is he saying that they're this like them following Ares is them trying not to sugarcoat it, I guess? Yeah. Trying to be what they are without trying to like put on airs about it. That's kind of what I got from it, but it seemed a little bit unnecessary to bring up the comparison. So until until we get in later when he gets placed in Mars house. But even then, they seem just ruthless and don't seem to sugarcoat much of anything anyway. Th- that's definitely also true. I Actually, I hadn't thought about the immediate comparison to Mars house outside of the... 
the later some spoiler. Um, not going to say it obviously, but so skipping over that. I think the thing here is that I think Pierce is pointing out, or the, you know, the intent here is to point out kind of the hypocrisy of the society is this like elevated thing and elevation really just called a lot of the strength out of it, even though the entire present presentation of the society is the strong up like the the most pure are in charge even though they've they've cut down their history and kind of softened it to some degree Mm -hmm. right so i think that for the most part is also a difference between the greek and roman history is it kind of cutesifies it to make it more appealing to the masses i can see that okay so and in the london Um, sports says so by naming yourself after him you're pointing the truth to things within the society cute and darrow just kind of addresses it blatantly he's like (laughs) <laughs> whatever <laughs> obviously they they kind of have a lot of conversations about him becoming a gold and the idea of justice versus vengeance any any thoughts in the conversation as it progresses with dara so before before we move on to that multiple times asked and always answered the same way is uh darrow accusing not accusing but insinuating that dancer is aries Mm-hmm. And all he ever says is, no, I'm not Aries. No, that's true. Which I have a, I don't I'm, know about that. So let's address this now. Who do you think is or could be Aries? <sighs> um, I either he hasn't, he or she, I guess, hasn't really uh, stepped into the portrait yet, or I haven't picked up on enough. Sure, sure. I, I guess. So I don't know. Thinking more like don't. Don't step so much on the toes of individual characters who. Oh, I could just be the Reds as a whole. Sure. sure. I don't know if I'd like that answer, though. Sure. But like, what would you like? What's an ideal answer? What's your what's your projected thought? I'd like I'd like to see it be um, his mother. Hmm. So soft spoken, so quiet, so reserved and does not do anything to stop him from leaving the house when he's going to go like out and cut down EO seems to have really her finger on the pulse of everything that he's doing and lets him do it. Right. And he seems to think it's because she knows that he's going to do it anyway and understands that he's passionate about it. But I think it could be that she wants him to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, and there's a connection with his, with, with his father as well, who was also part of it, part of the resistance, part of the, the informant as you, as it was referred to. And that could have also been, as as heartless as it could be, a really ingenious way of kind of pla- planting somebody within the family as a little bit more of an obvious target to draw heat if mm. needed. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. The thing that I point to in theorizing, you know, it definitely could could be a red. And I like your idea with it staying in the family. There's just so many other reds, right? Like we know that there are a billion reds under the planet mining. One yeah. billion, like that's the number of miners, and obviously, like the breadth of the society is much bigger because we're we also we also kind of escape the boundary of Earth, you know, and our, our normal expectations of what like a planetary limit is. We're we're truly extrasolar, but good good to good to hear. Uh, good to set that in. I'll lock that in for you, and when we figure out who Aries is in three books, <laughs> we'll, right, uh, we'll talk about in. it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, three books now. <laughs> I'm also not <laughs> exposing that. Uh, right. But that was that was all just uh, Schadenfreude bullshit. So we'll, we'll move on. Uh, but yeah, you know, good good to hear. 
so they obviously they come to the surface and there's some beautiful prose. I think that's the thing. Like, I know that you you'd kind of harped on it before in the first section, it being Shakespearean. But I feel like in this section, it starts to come out where there's a lot more character dialogue action. And so the Shakespearean bits of description stand out as like great pieces as opposed to everywhere. I, I wasn't necessarily criticizing it by calling it Shakespearean, but it didn't it didn't seem ah it's almost disingenuous, like just to yeah. jump into a book. Yeah, that's that is the like best way to trying to be to describe yeah. it. It wasn't deep enough yet in this like to really back that up. But now it, it starts kind of working that way. But also more dialogue starts happening and it doesn't need to be like that. So those those few sprinklings of it start to feel like you said start to feel more genuine and start to stand up yeah it i I, and i also think that the dialogue does a ton does a lot of heavy lifting in in this section again kind of not not like so much explaining but like talking through sort of the moral decision of why darrow needs to become a gold and why darrow himself wants to become a gold what does he want he wants vengeance well you could you could strap a bomb on yourself and run in and you'd get vengeance but that's not justice and so yeah, he d- he does reapproach that later on during the draft. Yeah, right. Like I wish I had a bomb. Yeah, right. He <laughs> he entirely re-enters that that thought. He's like, okay, I could have ended their twelve hundred best and brightest, but does that really change anything? No. Along with a bunch of leaders. Yeah, he'd kill. He'd probably kill Nero. Mm-hmm. He's just referred to as Augustus, but Arch Governor. And then I we we do get another one of those beautiful short staccato sentences here page 66 you know beyond the glass sprawls a city like it's it's just small but for someone who's used to living in a cave in a mine that is like it can be a grander picture it can be whatever you paint it as because Mm -hmm. i i really i stopped at that point i'm like that's a really well written last sentence i really appreciated that it's and it's just insane how he describes the green as like scars across the surface of Mars. And we get we get kind of also a full picture of the other colors too here. You know, we, we get, you know, the blue, yellow, orange, green, pink, a hundred shades of a dozen colors to form a hierarchy so complex, so alien, I scarcely think of it as a human concept. For Darrow, this is jarring. This is what he expected in several more centuries. Like he was going to have to ki- have kids and they were going to have to have kids. And then this was going to happen. Maybe. Right. Going backwards just a little bit. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about this in a while, but one of our not primary choices for choosing these books, but one one of our one thing in our in our minds when we're choosing them is things that will soon become adaptations to film or TV. I can absolutely see that final scene on 66 being like the end of the second episode of the TV show. Yeah, there's there's no question. He gets pulled into this new alien world, and you could almost do like a Blade Runner style pan over of the city, starting from Darrow's perspective and like looking out. Yeah, but that that's the last shot though. But everything up until that is just fixed on his face, look like coming in, coming towards the window, and like looking out in awe and terror until it slowly turns and sees the scene of the the man being chased by the three girls and just the the happy-go-lucky city before him right versus the like harsh world that he's obviously presented with no good Mm -hmm. call that's that's a great call we we get kind of this world they talk about the colonization of other planets 
And we also get the time frame. We get a couple of the questions that you asked previously answered in this section. Namely, how long ago did this all happen? Golds would yeah. prefer yep. for us to forget history, and most of us have, or were never taught it. But I know gold rose to power hundreds of years ago. They call it the conquering. They butchered any who contested them, massacred cities, continents. Not many years ago, they reduced an entire world to ash. Rhea, the ash lord, nuked it to oblivion. It was with Ares' wrath that they acted. Now we are the sons of that wrath. And we figure out that it's like 700 years back is when they expanded to the moon and the moon is used as the port. It's there. There's just so much here. We we do kind of figure out that they've sprawled out among the, the planets. So uh, Rhea is a moon of Saturn, in case you weren't aware. So okay. we know that society has colonized a lot of space, a lot more than we had talked about in the previous episode. How many... Potential planets, moons, do you think this society is spread to? And any thoughts on the differences from planet to planet or moon to moon? And any speculation on the Ash Lord? Uh, no speculation on the Ash Lord. But as far as descriptions of inhabitants, it doesn't seem like anybody's described anything outside of the solar system. But they ha- they are inhabiting both planet, like all all-encompassing bodies of planets and moons and asteroids because the the identity that he takes on later on his family's from like the asteroid fields is aren't they wait what one more time the family oh, yeah, yeah. Like the, from the distant yeah. asteroids yep 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 a, yeah i think of so, Pluto colony a lot but i haven't heard any sort of uh inclination that they're outside of the solar system at this point so there's there's in my mind at least for now there's some sort of containment within the the orbit of the sun. Totally. So now this this entire section paints the large swath of the picture of the society that has lied, as the, the chapter is called The Lie. And we get presented with this large picture of the world at hand. And we also get the question of, you know, what's ultimately going to be Dara's mission. Right. Then we move to the carving. Did you think any of this shit was going to happen? Is this is this what you imagined? I had no idea what to think, man. I thought he was going to wake up in like the body. Like I when he died at the beginning of the of book one, I thought he was I seriously thought he was just going to wake up in the body of a gold. Part one. Sorry. No, just so um, people don't get confused. <laughs> we don't want them to think that we're hopping right. books. Yeah. I, I really thought he was going to wake up having already I don't know I don't know what if he would have gone through like brain transplantation or whatever. But I thought he was going to wake up and be in a different body altogether rather than like living through the transformation that he comes through. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, shit. Uh, I, forgot, I, forgot to, so I forgot to read this section. What? So, yeah. So part of part of what I really like about this, this section, too, is we do get a description of basically every color. Right. So mm-hmm. on page 72. So part of part of what I love <laughs> about this section is uh, we do get a description of every color, you know, going into the carving and the description of what's going to happen. So on page 72, you know, we get metal behemoths sail between the planets and fleets carrying weapons that can crack the mantle of a moon. On distant Luna, buildings rise seven miles high. There, the sovereign council, Octavia Loon, rules with her imperators and praetors. The Ash Lord, who made the world of Rhea Cinders, is her minion. She controls the twelve Olympic knights, legions of peerless scarred and obsidians as innumerable as the stars. And those obsidians are only the elite. The gray soldiers prowl the cities, ensuring order, ensuring obedience to the hierarchy. The whites arbitrate their justice and push their philosophy. Pink's pleasure and service high colors in high color homes. 
Silvers count and manipulate the currency and logistics. Yellow studies medicines and sciences. Green develops technologies. Blues navigate the stars. Coppers run the bureaucracy. Every color has a purpose. Every color props up the golds. So it it sounds like there are a couple sort of colors that were the same color but earned distinction. Specifically, grays have the elites that became obsidian. So no. Reds? No, because the obsidians are different, right? The obsidians have eight fingers. Right, but they, they seem to have a similar, similar, not the same, but a similar uh, duty as the grays. Same with like the bronzes. Versus golds. Or versus golds. Yeah. And pinks versus reds. Well, pinks are actually a high color. Because No. No, they're not. Well, actually, wait. Are they? Are they not? No. No, no. pinks are the... Pinks are the slaves still. Yeah, but they're, yes, yeah, yeah, like, you're right. They're definitely still slaves, um, but they're like pleasure slaves. I was thinking of something else. Yeah, no worries. So it not not that it actually like means anything, but it, it seemed interesting to kind of have a glimpse in my mind of the sort of process of creation of the different colors. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it started as just mostly the primary colors and it split. Yeah, and you described it as they found more like thinking about it as though the factions of colors split off as the spacecraft Mm -hmm. as the jobs and duties. And they kind of did a little bit. But there's genetics to it as well, which I guess makes sense. I don't know where I was going with that, but I found it interesting. But yeah, every color props up the golds. We uh, we get more of the bloody dam. You know, it's pretty good. Pretty good. So we also get a pretty good illusion on page 73. Also, need to need to back up about that quote that I just read, that long chunk of that page. That is like perfect quintessential Pierce Brown prose. So good. Okay. Good. Descriptive, beautiful, awesome. Love it. Good to know. Yes. So we, we get a little bit of a, a good illusion, a good seed here. You know, the mission he has given me is madness. And we understand the mission from the prelude yeah, that we had read at the beginning that you pointed out. It's like, well, obviously, he sits in the crowd of golds. Right. Now we know that he isn't just like hiding. He's a gold. Becomes one. The fact that almost 100 reds have gone through the carving and failed is sort of 97 terrifying. that they know of. Yeah. Which that's a terrifying prospect. What about the ones they don't know of? Right. Right. Page 75 has a great... Lord of the Rings reference, of course. I didn't catch it. Near the top part of the page. Yeah, you didn't catch it? It's so direct. You must have just like skimmed over it. So 75, we pass into a low-color district, right? But in the middle of the page, two small men with quick green eyes and bald heads studded with metal spikes and tattooed with shifting digital codes suggest for me a trip to some place called the Osgiliath. Other stores offer banking services or biomodifications or simple personal hygiene products. Osgiliath? You didn't you didn't get Osgiliath? I I, dude, seriously was trying to you're think the one of who took like the Lord of the Rings. Class. I recognized it. <laughs> I recognized it. I didn't remember what I what I thought of it. Like you literally, took I knew a, a Tolkien. I did. I did. I did. Class. We didn't talk about. We didn't. really stood out to me. No idea why at the time, but yeah. Yep, we're good. Oh man, we're good. Let's continue. Let's forget that I didn't catch it. The nerd in me hurts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So. Me too. I I like the encounter at the entrance to uh, Mickey's parlor, obviously, with the people that they fool, who are obviously guards for Mickey, and no one should, like, get through. 
and they basically just trick them with a bomb. <laughs> like, let us in and we'll blow you up. And it's like, but blowing yeah. you up is also not good for you, right? It felt <laughs> it felt odd, but also like you're you're serious. It did feel weird. It felt more like it felt more like taking advantage of lower intelligences. That's what that's what it kind of struck me as. So I definitely agree. I do like the description of all of the things in Mickey's place, right? They're all very short, very snappy descriptions. It's it's good. Mm -hmm. Mickey the Carver is a scalpel of a man, scalpel of a man with a crooked smile and black hair that hangs like a puddle of oil down one side of his head. Does that not evoke to you the dude from Fifth Element? Absolutely. Right? Zorg? Yep. Zorg? Yeah, it's Zorg. Just literally quintessential. Just doesn't have the plastic. Gary Oldman right there. Fifth Element, one of the greatest science fiction movies ever. Go watch it. So good. I also like the description, scalpel of a man. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's great. And especially the puddle of oil. Like, I was somewhere between Zorg and Robert Smith. And that's entirely where my head went thinking about mickey especially as mickey kind of talks he doesn't he doesn't talk down but he does talk like a man who's been on a bunch of psychedelics and is either drunk or high all the time you know kind of yeah i almost i almost got like an edward scissor hands oh death description yeah yeah and i mean he's got 12 fingers right so that's interesting and different and they're all long and kind of spindly Mm -hmm. yeah what does he say? I, I try to ignore the fact that it, his fingers feel like spider legs or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's later I think on. It's I don't know later, where it's at. It's but. definitely spindly spider <laughs> legs or something or spider legs or something like that. And I def, I didn't write it down, but I definitely when I both read it and heard it this time around. So on page 79, Dancer kind of reads like a fat Carl Urban from the boys to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like a badass who has a plan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's literally like that like so page 79 you know he's addressing mickey and he's like you know it's you you have to like change colors you have to we're gonna we're gonna have you like carve him whatever we have a proposition for you mickey dancer says impatiently and glances down at the cube you know straight to the main course um but then we skip over like he's just kind of bouncing back and forth insane we're bloody damn manic and we need them attached soon attached to him and mickey just like leaves and freaks out (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you, you freaks and get out. Yeah, his entourage, entourage, scurry away. Two golden wings, the sails of gold clatter under the table. And he's like, we want you to make a, our boy here into a gold. And I just, I can't get the picture of Carl Urban from the boys out of my head thinking about that scene. Please yeah, cast no, that's exactly Carl Urban. Like, make him wear a fat suit. Hadn't placed it, Oi. but that's all I'll think of from now on. Oi. I need you like, to put these sigils on my boy's hands. Sigils? Sig- sigils? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I could see him saying sigils. <laughs> uh, so one thing that, unless I just missed it, it didn't seem abundantly clear. Where are those wings affixed? Because there are like glyphs and stuff on his arms and hands and stuff. Yeah, so. But where the, do the wings go? The wings go on the hands. On the hands. There are also uh, depending on the gold, there are also generally like tattoos or implants on the face. Okay. So how are they? They're physical wings. No, 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 no. These are like tiny little glyphs. They're, they're like a embedded pushed up tattoo basically. Okay. It's, it's like welded to the surface. Like think about like just golden wings, like welded to the surface of your skin. 
And right now, the sigil that they that Darrow has on his hand, if you close the book and look at the spine, is that like arrow with a circle that's down above Red Rising. Okay. That's the sigil that's on his hand right now. Okay, and if I look at Golden Sun, it's the triangle with the wings. Yes, right. So th- that's the okay. golden sigil. All right. And I think this whole section is just laced with golden nuggets from Mickey. You know, basically golden nuggets. Yeah, <laughs> golden nuggets. But I think it's I think it's just funny. You know, he can think like a lion. Oh, he can think like a lion. And Ares wants it done. Ares, Ares, Ares. It doesn't matter what Ares want, you baboon. Never mind the science. His <laughs> physical and mental dexterity is probably daft as a damn bowl cleaners. It's like <laughs> just just fires off this shit. Like nobody's yeah. business. He just does not give a shit. Yeah. Until until the uh until he starts working on the puzzle right right and then all of a sudden he's like oh shit and uh i really i really like that you called that out actually didn't wrote it right down but 83 impossible mickey murmurs evolution harmony replies and then dancer's like we will need to discuss the price and fat crawler been sitting there you know like i'll pay you some money <laughs> Come on, fat Kyle Irvin. I do, I do like the the description of the puzzle, though, right? So obviously, Darrow is incredibly gifted with his. Hands, I want that puzzle, and it's basically an evolving Rubik's cube, right? His voice fades as he sees how the uh, the claw drill taught my fingers to move, how the grace with which my uncle taught me to dance is converted to, into my hands. I hum as I work. He's just he gets into it so quickly. He's just spinning it out. You know, it's boop, 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 bah, boop, and it just gets larger and kind of like, you know, it's it's a very like Tony Stark playing with his hands to build the thing in front of him feel. Described, though, it, right. it feels that way. I don't know. Loved it. It does. So we end that basically with the agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final car view. We flip the page. My life becomes agony. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he's kind of just like, this fucking sucks. But kind of the nice the nice part that's interlaced between the descriptions of pain here with Darrow is we also get good descriptions of the society from Mickey and like the evolution. Yeah, this this chapter specifically, I really enjoyed all the visuals of the process that goes on. And again, thinking about adaptation, I think his time with Mickey would probably be focused on a little bit more, but. When he gets to working physically with Harmony, that is ripe for a training oh, montage. Oh, it's a fucking training montage. I wrote that, <laughs> I wrote that in the script. You hadn't gotten that Did yet. you really? I was like, it is a fucking training montage. <laughs> <laughs> like ending with him punching through the uh, the human size or the human shaped uh, dummy. Yeah, the concentration machine, right? And then like that punches too, out yeah. the dummy, right? It's just all of it so... Uh, it's so training montage. Breaking rocks with his hands. But it's, it's actually kind of crazy because he actually created that in book form. And books don't generally do montages, right? But we get the feeling of a montage from the way they yeah. described it, which is yeah, interesting. It's fascinating, <laughs> which is good. We're, we're getting a little bit ahead. I, there's one line that I really like here, or there are two lines that I really like here that I think are good to lay out to the... Golden ancestors, they call them iron golds. They were hard men. They stood lean and fierce upon their battle cruisers as they laid waste to the armies and republic fleets of Earth. What creatures they were. It took generations of eugenics and biological tampering to make them. Forced Darwinism. Mm-hmm. And just fascinatingly tough people that were created. But also, like, it's 
obviously it's not for the benefit of everyone. It's for the benefit of society. But we also get this, this counter argument of like, there is no disease. There's no, there's no need for anything except for the want of the fake wants society has put in front of everyone to chase after. Yeah, the reds are chasing mm-hmm. after the laurels. And you can only assume that every other class is also chasing after some sort of higher pedigree. Even the golds oh, are chasing after being a peerless guard. Right. But there's that doesn't get taken away from them eventually, like it does the reds. Well, I guess it doesn't really, does it? Yeah, they really just don't know. So it's not even taken away from them. But yeah. But anyway, it has been uh, taken away from them as people. So I really like this line as well in 85 before we skip out of the, the carving section. No, I've always wished to make a god. So why not carve you to be a god of war? And it's just, it's so, there's a lot of these lines from Mickey that are just so elevated, profound, interesting that you can get away with, with like a very creative character like he is. Like you couldn't have... Arrogant. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. You couldn't have like Darrow get away with the shit that he's saying, no. right? It's very no, of course into his character. And then again, you know, <laughs> Mickey carves me on the next page. Mickey carves me. The agony is beyond language or comprehension. And he goes, someone has to dot God's eyes. And it's like, ah, it's just, it's good. It's, it's <laughs> on, on 85 again. Sorry to go back a little bit. Your skeleton is weak because Mars gravity is 0.3 of Earth. My delicate little bird. Like <laughs> he's constantly like coddling him a little bit making him feel or trying i guess probably trying to make him feel like he needs him maybe like a pupil like a like a project i i think the interesting here thing that we also get presented to here is darrow kind of has four mentors right now we don't get like a single kind of gandalf mentor the closest person like that is dancer so to speak but we do get you know mickey who's shaping him physically into the person but also is giving him like history and is talking him through things. And then we get Harmony, who's into the physical batterment and the you know, mental acuity of, of fighting and exercise and everything else. And then you get Mateo, mm-hmm. who's culture. It's a very yeah. interesting swap. And etiquette. And then, but then you also get, to a lesser extent, Evie, who really softens him. True. No, that's a good point. Not Not in a very like explicit way, but... Like clearly shows him compassion and he extends the same to her. Yeah, it's it's not it doesn't take up the whole section, but it is. I'm sure she comes back, if not in this book later on. You think? OK. Yeah. I mean, we do get Harmony's taking her, her in. Yeah. Harmony rescued her from the place. Right. The other line that I really like that Mickey says in this section outside. There are lots of lines that I like from Mickey. Pretty much all of them. Mankind was always enslaved, they'll say. Freedom enslaves us to lust, to greed, take freedom away and they give me a life of dreaming they gave a life of sacrifice family community and society is stable there's no famine no genocide no great wars and when the golds fight they obey rules they are noble about it when the great houses bicker and i think that that is really like right but i mean the immediate comeback of noble they lied to me said i was a pioneer yeah and would you have been happier if you knew you were a slave yeah he makes a very he makes a very good point there. Yeah. It's not a justification, but it is a perspective to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes it less less jarring, I guess. Yeah, the reason society went this way, you know, not to not to be coy and assholes, because society does need ditch diggers. And this society needs a lot of ditch diggers in order to sustain its, you know, interspatial relations. 
And so what mm-hmm. they did is instead of offering fair pay and fair compensation is they enslaved them and made them inferiorly <laughs> genetic and reliant upon them. It's it's like it's an extrapolation of modern society to the nth degree, like mm-hmm. so far out. Yeah, but it's also like they've been they've been like living this lie for longer than America's been a country. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. And they make fun of the Americas explicitly in the yeah. history section. Um, yeah, there's a lot more in that as we learn about Earth's history. I'm curious, what do you think happened to Earth or on Earth or what's Earth like now? We know that it's at least 700 years in the future. My my immediate thought about the golds and the golds being so genetically evolved, I guess, compared to the rest of humanity is outside alien interference, I guess. Whether it's an outside race altogether that was close enough to humans, but a little bit more advanced Hmm. or a little bit bigger, a little bit smarter, a little bit stronger. Or if it was bestowing untapped power into evolutionary life cycle of this subsect of humanity. Well, we, we kind of get hints, though, that it's more about breeding than it is anything else, right? Yeah, but but I guess I guess it depends on what timeline we're talking about, because that is that is a thousands of years kind of breeding divergence. I, I just mean that potentially like potential modification and everything. I mean, else. I mean, think think about think about the amount of strength difference. That's a ridiculous prospect. To us right now, though, I guess like the question. You're right. You're right. The large lingering question is genetic modification and then people born with genetic modifications and reproducing with them. What does that society look like? And I feel like that's kind of what's being answered here. But they need a distinction to start it and stay isolated from the rest. well they did they didn't necessarily entirely stay isolated but they did go to loon and yeah luna and then you're right stay there right train there etc oh good point and that's good point all right that makes sense that explains that's kind of so probably just lunar lunar exception they're the yeah they're the man on the moon were the pixies there too pixies on the moon pixies the pixies <laughs> I actually, a fun fact, I've actually read through five of these books, four of these books. I'm actually in the middle of the fifth. Um, and I have, for whatever reason, never connected Pixie with gold on an initial read and always thought that it was calling pinks delicate. But the fact that it's an insult now is so much better. <laughs> it's an insult to like yeah it's it's so much better i don't know how i missed that but i feel like this is one of the few times that it's described and then it's like a not strong gold right yeah essentially it's it's a gold that can't control themselves can't control their urges it would make more sense as like a subsection of pink though wouldn't it? well that's that's what i originally thought there there is a subsection of pink but we are we have not been introduced to that yet is it sparkle no sparkle sparkle no um <laughs> I will confirm for you that it's not sparkle. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Basically every color has its own subsection for the most part. Indigo? Uh no, carvers are the the specialty of violet. So to speak. I would say indigo is more blue than indigo than violet. I don't know if there's been a specialty of blue yet either. So as we'd mentioned, like Evie 
obviously, and all of them are kind of circling around. You know, he's going through this horrid, wretched, painful transition. And it's months long. My last day at Mickey's comes two months after my last surgery. So, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like it's four months in total. And it's interesting on 95, right? Um, so Mickey obviously kind of sends him off and he's like, you know, this is is fine. This is going to be good. You you look great. You know, you're you're brilliant. But obviously he also kind of sees the cruelty in Mickey, obviously in crafting Evie and other people. And he's, he says, be kind to Evie, Mickey. Don't make her dance. Give her plush life. Roll, come back and pull your hands off your body. And... whoa a (laughs) b whoa um just kind of shows nothing is stronger than a hell divers yeah it shows how far he's come to some degree but then also on 194 the page right before we do get the namesake for the book right he asks him if he's frightened of him Mm -hmm. uh am i oh ho ho am i now my boy yes you're used to knowing what's what you think like the rest of them and not to the HC's reflection. Things are set in stone. Things are well ordered. Red's at the bottom. Everyone else standing on our backs. Now you're looking at me and you're realizing that we don't bloody damn like it down there. Red is rising, Mickey. Oh, you've got far to go. And then he's like, I'm going to, I will tear your hands off your body. <laughs> I just imagine a bleeding, <laughs> stubborn version of Mickey with his 12 fingers on the ground, his arms ripped out. I don't think he'd leave it at, like... If he was going to go violently accost Mickey, I think he'd like, I don't know, he'd affix his hand somewhere else. That's, that's true. But I also, uh, so I get Mortal Kombat vibes from that line. And I kind of just want to be like stuff an arm down his mouth. But it's fine. <laughs> that's that's all I was thinking about. It's cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like with with the fingers popping out of the mouth. I feel like that's the right way to do it. Yeah. That that'd be the way I would do it. Mm. This Mortal Kombat uh, fatality. So yeah, uh, next so. page, Mateo. Very interesting. I think I think this entire section is very interesting, but very straightforward. It's Darrow's language sucks, <laughs> and he needs to fix his language. <laughs> he needs to fix his mannerisms. He needs to know what fork to use because the gold is a refined society with years of with hundreds of years, centuries of perfecting the technique and the stylization and if you fuck up they'll challenge you to duel and kill you because you insulted them over conversation or said the wrong word yeah we we get pictures we get a couple of things that i think are interesting and obviously we can go through what you think they have a conversation about his brogue right so the the, the brogue in his accent and uh, the languages that he uses anything that you kind of picked up there anything that you liked or didn't like about the way that language changes as he goes from red to gold I thought it made sense, and it was really interesting to see sort of the not quite our mannerisms that get changed between high and low society. Mm-hmm. What's instead of bloody dam, gory dam, gory dam? There was a different one too. Uh, I don't remember. Slag? Anyway, but, but like there's slag, gory dam, bloody dam is the original. My good man yeah. is uh, the phrase to address people in kind of a yeah. It's it's. It's all very, you can tell it's higher society the way that they talk about it without having to explicitly be told, like, this is the right way to say it in their society compared to your society, which is the wrong way to say it in their society. Like, it, it has an air of regality to it. And maybe that's just the style of how it's written, but it sounds pretentious and less fun to say. So it makes sense that that's the only thing that they use for <laughs> expletives. 
Yeah, it does. It does have this kind of pretense to it, like, well, slag that, and it's you know, kind of. I don't know. I think of slag is kind of like a molten rock. I thought slag was slag was uh, slag was the the red reds term. Mm, is it? No, slag instead of squab. Squab is the red term. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it though? And r- yeah. righto, they can't use righto. Yeah, righto, righto is something you and I, you and I say righto to each other. I do say righto a lot. But uh, we're gonna start saying slag more, gory damn, and calling each other pixies. Clearly, so yeah, I, I I like the language changeover. It feels very interesting and natural. Obviously, it's not doing the full Tolkien thing where it's literally a different language. It's more just a localization. So one of the things that I also find very interesting is we get the description of one of the series' iconic weapons here. It's very short, but at the bottom of 97, he's pretending to uh, hold a bottle. He's like, it's a polyene sword, Goodman. A razor, in other words. One moment, it is soft as hair, but with an organic impulse, it turns harder than diamond. It is the only thing that will cut through a pulse shield. One moment, a whip. The next moment, a perfect sword. It is the weapon of a gentleman. A gold, for any other color to carry it, is death. Well, I mean... I just like that he jabs him in the throat with a bottle later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. He's like, what's shampoo? <laughs> That's one of the funniest <laughs> lines in this entire section, right? Like, Mateo, I said, yeah. what's shampoo? But it, it was it was really kind of interesting to draw the comparisons. Like, the golds are brought up with this weapon, much like much like the reds are brought up with the mining machines. Like every society has a tool. Oh, that's that's true. Especially thinking about that. This one is a personal weapon, not a tool for uh, mining. But it was a natural kind of switch. It, it gave him. I, I felt like it probably gave him something to hold on to, as, as far as like a natural like transition, a monkey bar, if you will. It is a weapon of a gentleman, a gold for any color to carry. It is death. So, uh, page 100, they drink from a flask. They have the conversation. Yeah. Um, so he, he has the conversation with about the dancer being a hell diver at one point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They talk. They yeah. Talk yeah. Yeah. Him. Yeah. I, I gesture to his scars. Only a hell diver would be bit so many times without a, without drill boys around to help him pull the vipers off. Very true. And then also at the bottom of 100 is, uh, last time I drank uncle Narrow drugged me. I take a drink. Maybe you've forgotten what the mines are like. I'm not young. I didn't mean to insult you, Dara. It's just you understand what, you, what you're here to do. And so it's it's kind of unanswered, but it feels like it's clear. Yeah. I also, I find this, this whole scene very great because it does bond now a six, God, how tall is Dara? Six, three or six, four? I can't remember. Yeah, something um, like from that. From like a five seven five eight or something like that so he's grown substantially and is much 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 taller than dancer after only a couple of months see what's up i don't get like that's something that completely i don't have a good read on or i'm so i'm so bad with like judging heights that aren't like within a couple inches of me or taller than oh that's fair yeah no so for for the listeners' records, um, PJ is six seven, so PJ is closer to an obsidian, whereas <laughs> I am a gray, and most of our friends are. 
Yeah, no. So just to you know, put it out there into the color scheme yeah, of things. But like, but yeah, like that. Anytime descriptions like that, they don't they don't strike me as important or as like exceptionally tall. So it it, it never really registers while I'm reading things like that. And that's not to like say like oh so short six foot three whatever. Like it legitimately doesn't catch my attention as like oh that's a tall motherfucker. Like I'm assuming was trying to be the case here. So I, I, I just can't really speak to what his height was or is compared to what everyone else's heights are or were. Um, I know he's taller than most, but like, that's, that's the only thing that stuck with me was that he's like over six feet tall. Okay. All right. Well, none of, does that make sense? I get it. I get it. Because your perspective is warped because you're thinking, Oh, I could look down at this man, but this man would punch you in the chest and pull out your heart. And then it's not, it's not even, it's not that it's not like I could look down at this man. It's the numbers themselves. Like the, the term six foot three really doesn't mean anything significant to me. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't stand out as tall to you. It sounds it's delightfully average. Right. Legitimately. They, they talk about the mission. They they kind of like we do kind of get a nice growing between the two of them. Darrow thinks of himself as a weapon, but Dancer doesn't think of him as a weapon. He thinks of him as a symbol. You know, he thinks of him as something much more. He's fighting for for your family that is still alive, for your people. I think it'd be I think he probably would have approached it the wrong way if he thought himself as the symbol of hope for his community. I think it's the right perspective to have in his own mind to think of himself as a tool. I definitely agree. I think that if he did think that he was a symbol for hope, he would basically be Superman. And then the story would be as uninteresting as Superman's because he's not flawed in any serious way but darrow is right. flawed in that he is single-minded with whatever he thinks unless he's told by someone else he's very much kind of at this point he's very much a wrecking ball you know kind of pointed in whatever direction we don't have much yeah. more in terms of his personal opinions on things you know the next section is very interesting because mateo is trying to teach darrow to dance right and Darrow already kind of knows how to dance because Neryl had taught him so much because his dad wasn't there to teach him. This scene builds on to a question that I had. I don't know if I expressed it vocally on the on the podcast last time, but um, questioning why the Reapers dance was illegal. And it's because it's essentially fight training. It's the Polonides, basically. Right. But it, it if you teach... The society to dance that dance you then also teach them the fighting style of the class that's oppressing them hmm. yeah especially since they also know it the style too right i really also appreciate here uh like mateo coming back at him and saying like you've never been out of the mines and kind of accusing him and coming at him because he's like it feels like it's a lie like i've been presented with you as a gold and it feels like you're tricking me because you already know these things. Right. So it, it, I think it catches him and makes him like be on guard. Like, what am I, what am I, am I being tricked kind of deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting here too, is that Mateo is so incredibly aware of what's at risk for him that he also puts it on Darrow. Right. Yeah. 
in, in the middle of page 104, the obsidians will catch you and give you to the whites and they will take you to their dark cells and they will torture you. They will pull out your eyes and cut away anything that makes you a man. They have more sophisticated methods, but I wager information won't be their only aim. They have chemicals for that if they want. Soon after you tell them everything, they will kill me, Harmony, Dancer, and they will kill your family with flesh peelers and stomp on the heads of your nieces and nephews. There are things they don't put on the HC. These are the consequences when the rulers of planets are your enemies. Planets, boy. Right. And it's demeaning and also gives a grandeur to the sense of his mission. I felt like that kind of comes full circle a little bit. Like this, this was a little bit of a him saying, remember where you came from. Like, remember, you're still you're still no matter what. If you get find, found out, you will be treated like the red that you are. And on the top of 105, he crosses his arms. If you're lying to me, ellipses, I do not lie to low colors. Like he knows, <laughs> like. He knows he's, he knows where he's coming from. The, yeah, I was going to say it's it's not even ellipses; it's italics, right? So it's like no, no, no. The ellipses, the like, ellipses is in the par- in the sentence before. I meant to say, like, I never know the right way to say that out loud. What do you when mean? Some, when, oh, oh, the ellipses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When when somebody gets cut for some reason, when someone yeah, gets cut no, off right. in dialogue, and I'm reading no, through both of it. Anyway, I I really. I feel like that probably it doesn't go into like how Mateo responds to that. But the fact that it just ends the conversation right there kind of tells me, all right, Mateo gets gets that he's passionate about the oppression that he's felt and is probably telling the truth. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I think that it does. It does paint that picture that they have equal stakes, even though. Yeah, exactly. Darrow is is a gold quote. Looks like a gold, now. but yeah, like he points out, like Mateo has only ever seen him as a gold. He didn't mm-hmm. see the transformation. Yeah, he didn't know that he was a small red boy with red hair, smelling of rust. He just saw the fucking bad eyebrows. Right. How many more generations do you think it'd be before they became like naked, naked mole rat style, like best rats, naked mole rat, <laughs> uh, uh, like weird, wait, weird, like golds. No, 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 no. I mean, reds, like weird subterranean. Several hundred more, I think. All right. Yeah, probably. We've we've got a lot to cover. Okay, so we uh, we also get introduced to uh, Darrow's new name, which is Darrow Al Andromedus. He's obviously the inheritor, as we described previously, of a pair of dead parents. He's originally supposed to have a different name, but turns it down. Caius, I believe. It's something like that. So my one thought and isn't addressed anywhere. He was hanged and it was televised. Was his name not at all associated with that? Do you think they keep a record if they're billion reds that just mine underground and randomly died? One that gets executed by the arch governor himself? Maybe. So one of the things that they kind of mentioned in passing is that the arch governor was really this just there out of luck. And that's the only reason that the entire scene with EO was filmed in the first place. And that's the reason that like Darrow was also punished for everything is mostly just a series of coincidences. Yeah. On on the front end. I haven't taken the time to go back and look at that scene, but I'd be interested to see if his name was announced anywhere. 
No, it wasn't. Okay. And neither was Eos. That's why she's known as Persephone. Oh, good point. Okay. Not Eos. Okay. Okay. But for him, it's Eos' dream. So the- then that, t- that alleviates a lot of the like concern about him choosing to keep his name. Yeah. I definitely agree, though. It is it is as they point out and they like raise their eyebrows at it. He's like, it is an off color name. And he's like, I want my name. Yeah, because the rest of my I'm giving up everything else for my family. I want my name. Mm-hmm. I want the name that they gave me. So uh, two months after training, my mind has the test. You know, he's not memorizing anything. He just you know, takes the test. For instance, if a fish has three thousand four hundred fifty three scales on its left side and 3,453 scales on its right side. Which side of the fish has the most scales? The outside. Extrapolational thinking, basic logic. I mean, not basic, but logic puzzles. Like, that's really what they're testing in addition to general intelligence. You could call it a logic puzzle. I would I would more just call it, like, a joke that you'd find in a 1,001 jokes book. What, are, what were your thoughts on the test? I wanted... I wanted more questions. Mm-hmm. Like I, I enjoyed this kind of like thought process too. So yeah. I was really hoping it would give more examples of what he answered and how he answered them. Yeah, I, I thought also, obviously, Darrow gets bothered by the woman tapping her pen <laughs> and just steals the fucking pen. And he's so fast. He doesn't <laughs> even know that it's happened. Like... Oh, but then then the the proctor looks at the video and sees it and like that that sort of action isn't necessarily seen as a bad thing within the society. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. And then the golden razor blade of a girl disagrees and steers Cutter. Right. We later learn that she's Antonia, Mm -hmm. but that this like Machiavellian ruthless society is just what exists between the golds. Right. Which kind of sets an interesting standard. Like it's a double standard entirely. It's be ruthless and and live to better yourself and your people, Mm -hmm. but also don't do it too much else you get sneered at by pretty girls in the hallway right <laughs> very true i mean pretty girl yeah antonia definitely yep hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we meet, we meet our first real gold that we have a real conversation with right it's not just the cruel punishment of nero someone who's in that kind of role we meet cassius mm-hmm. or cassius whichever way you want to look at it and he is described as but uh, the shining voice comes from a young man torn from Greek verse. Arrogance and beauty drip off of him. Impeccable breathing. I've never seen a smile so wide and white. Skin so smooth and lustrous. He's all I despise. Like, the man. The man's attractive. Yep. Objectively attractive. Yep. And their their entire conversation has this kind of, I don't know, the, the way that Cassius, Cassius talks is interesting i love the high speak yeah um differential what what page are you looking at right now 108 okay okay then we're not at the point where i want to point out sorry by god your hand is like a vice he chuckles <laughs> you know darrow well that's quite the off-color name uh well you come from no one at all a far planet hasty no wonder antonia sneered your way but listen i'll forgive you for it if you tell me how you fared on the test. Uh, it just so has this like, bup, 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 it, he sounds like a critical NPC <laughs> in, 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 in an RPG. 
<laughs> Doesn't he? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think I think right there he does, uh, but I think a little bit and later, later he, he doesn't. Gets, later it later it gets better, but like right here it's like, oh my god, this is forced conversation, and it's, like it's like a C three PO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> but I I guess that's kind of that's kind of the feel that you get from the society anyway, regurgitating answer responses that are proper and fit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's interesting here too is Cassius is very much like a playboy almost. He's presented as this like, yeah, we should go to this strip. Well, club. he presents himself yeah, as no, that. I mean, right, right. Like he's, he's, he's not presented. presented that way. He presents himself that way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Both ways. I mean, Pierce Brown wrote it. Right. So no, I, I know, but he came off as like a. I want to talk myself up. Like, look at all yeah. these women that I've slept with. <laughs> But, yeah, especially like, because he makes the joke about Antonia, right? Yeah. He's like, well, I would I would know, you know? Yeah, like, he he sounds like an overzealous, self-conscious teenager that uh, hasn't ever actually had sex with anyone, but doesn't want anyone to well, know it. And with that, his dad <laughs> is the second most powerful man with a fleet that's like twice or two or three times uh, Augustus's fleet size. Right. Yeah, and their families have been constantly warring. Very interesting, though, to have this, you know, one of the two Bolognas that we meet here. And one of the things that I'll say is one of the things that I cherish and love most about Red Rising is this sort of, like, interest in the way that family and siblings operate within a family. Um, It's not just this one interaction. It Mm. will be perpetual throughout the series. It doesn't spoil anything at all. It's just a matter of it's very interesting how families operate inside of the society. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what I was starting to get to uh, when I learned I was a page ahead in what I wanted to say. So um, middle or uh, end of the second to last paragraph on 109. Apparently, the families hate one another. Seems like they have a nasty habit of killing each other's off, killing each other off. Baby pit. Vipers, indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about the pit vipers and how the young don't have control of their uh, venom, which mm-hmm. is the same for a lot of uh, juvenile snakes. Specifically, uh, the one I'm thinking of is water moccasins. The ones mm-hmm. to really like be wary of are the the babies because they still have venom. They don't have any control over it, so once they bite you, all of it goes. Even if it's not as much as a, an, an adult, it's still more than the dose that an adult would administer. Um, Very true. So, and they point. they talk about it just, but just that sort of lack of control, the lack of yeah, Dan- self control. It's especially like self referential within this part of the book, which is to say, like this part two. At the very beginning, Mickey's like part of the reason you were able to survive is because you have pit viper venom going around your heart forever because it doesn't leave. You're lucky. You just have a strong heart that's built up this tolerance. And we also get Neryl, who's disabled because of pit viper venom, because he was called drill operator. And now he's saying all of these golds are like pit vipers. He's basically like walked into a nest. Right. Which I think he even alluded to in the prelude. Yep. I think he does. In in addition, one of the one of the lines that I really like here is him denying 
the opportunity to go to Aegea. Him basically saying, you know, unfortunately I cannot. And Cassius kind of jumps. He's like, oh, uh, as though like he thought he couldn't afford it. And he offers. He's like, don't worry about it, my good man. I'll pay and all that. And it just kind of like Cassius is kind of good hearted. Like it, it gives yeah. an impression that he. He, he's like, I kind of want to make a friend here. Like, yeah, so, I, may be, I may be playing some political game, but like, I also. Yeah, like there, you. there's there's where I'm getting with it. Like, mm. is he good hearted or does he recognize that he'd be a good ally? Yeah. OK. And I guess if you really want to boil it down, that's kind of one and the same. Even. Yeah. Even in the real world, like there's there's being nice for nice's sake. But that's honestly a pretty rare trait to have. Mm-hmm. Or a rare trait to exhibit. Most of the time, somebody's going to be thinking about how their connection with someone else is going to positively or negatively affect their life in the future. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. You can look at it in a very jaded way, cynical way, which I kind of have yeah. <laughs> with Cassius. Cash? Are we are we going with Cassius or Cassius? Cassius. It's Cassius. I Cassius. Mean, it that way. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. But it, at the same time, Cassius, I. But anyway. Right. I've read it as, as Cassius, but Cassius. Yeah, Cassius. Cassius. Yep. Um, he does seem like a genuinely nice person, even if it is, even if it does turn out to be selfish in origin. He doesn't seem to have a very. I, th- I think we covered Cassius. Yeah. Pretty clearly. He's, he's, he's a good, interesting character and. For the first time, it doesn't feel like we were introduced to, I don't want to say disposable, but we're actually like given, I, I don't know. There's there's something we're, friendly. We're being like, very slowly fed information on this character, yeah. which is interesting compared to everything else. That Versus, that, right, exactly. Everyone else has almost been a dump, right? But this is, exactly. this is not a dump, which is, it's good. It's good to see. It's enough such that he's not a throwaway one-off character. Mm-hmm. Like but Antonia not, at this point. Yeah. Was, doesn't Antonia show up later too? She does. She does. My point was just more but, that like But Antonia. like his cousin. Like 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 his younger cousin. Brother. Brother. Whatever. Whoever. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm not. I, I'm talking uh, Darrow's Oh, Oh, cousin. yeah, yeah. Like he's a character you're probably never going to deal with again. Got it. Oh, we yeah. know a very right. little bit about it, but it's just kind of a. Or like Ugly like, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, shit like that. But this is the first character where it's really kind of a drip feed of information where you know he's going to be more important later, but you don't know a large amount of information about him right away. Yeah. So <sighs> I'm, in, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. There's, there's definitely a couple of interesting things that happen here, too, with the rest of the test. The rest of the test, there's a portion of it that's physical. You know, he he slams through most of it, no problem. And he absolutely destroys the motion test of which he, you know, he's used to riding on a 90 meter drill, which is yeah. a 300 foot drill. Like what? It's <laughs> a big fucking drill. It's a big fucking drill, man. It's a drill the size of a football field. Right. That's exactly how I was thinking about it. Yep. Um... But then we also we also get the more of, interesting one was the uh, the oxygen mm, yeah. deprivation test where they just give up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but where's that phrase? Then they see how much motion I can take till I vomit. I'm used to riding the 90 meter drill, so I have to give up. So they have to give up. Oh, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
it was it's post the oxygen sandwich sandwiched against the yep. oxygen test yeah which is great so he stumbles into the locker room so he really hasn't talked to anyone else and then we get this this moment with another woman you know someone's mm-hmm. whistling a tune it's eos tune it sounds like it and there's a girl changing in the locker room her back is to me the muscles lean as she downs her shirt and make a noise she turns suddenly, and for an awkward moment, I stand there blushing. Goals aren't supposed to care about nudity, but I can't help my reaction. She's beautiful, heart-shaped face, full lips, eyes that laugh at you. They laugh like they did as she rode away on her horse. It's the same girl who called me a pixie when I rode a pony, which is earlier. We kind of skimmed over it, but definitely mentioned if you read the book. Mm-hmm. A gold wouldn't have done that, but as I sit with Mateo on the shuttle as fairies, or as it ferries us back home, I remember the girl's face. She blushed too. Which is like, ooh, you've got another sensitive like, person. That's that's neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the board's quality control. And so we and they go through like that series of tests with Darrow just to ensure because he only got one question wrong. Yeah. So they never go into they never dig into how he passes that without triggering the lie detectors well so they they say that he initially they give him an initial lie that signaled him right which is are you the family andromedus yes are you the aria genius yes i lie through my teeth ruining their control questions because those are supposed to be easy yeses to which he can Uh, now yeah so he ruins the rest of it by setting that standard okay his heart was reacting now i get that yeah okay as we think of polygraphs right so he passes them and we leave and how he like sprinkles in annoyance of being questioned by a copper and insults towards the like interrogator copperhead or pennyhead at one point something like that whatever yeah i think like these these copper based insults that aren't overt and aren't like aggressive but as he's getting questioned more and more and as he gets like he starts acting visibly like agitated by it and starts insulting things to me, like to even more genuinely pass the lie. I thought it was a really nice touch. Of course, of course. And they they leave, obviously, and they're like, we'll, we'll be in touch. And it is a nice touch because it, it layers him as I am a gold. I am arrogant. I am. You are lower than me, which is the first that we kind of see of him in that situation. Mm-hmm. And we get kind of this final moment with uh, with Harmony, Mateo, and Dancer. Dance, or, yeah, Dancer gives him a ring, you know, an L-blade ring that extends out and basically leaves him with the memory of, you know, manners, manners, then burn their bloody damn house to the ground. Right. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Then we get the shuttle, right? The shuttle's pretty cool. The shuttle is... Julian, right? Yeah. He's cool. Uh, but He's it's also dude. like... It's 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 a school bus. <laughs> it's the magic school bus. <laughs> it's a shitty school bus. I thought honestly, I thought more in the realm, less in the realm of like a school bus. I thought, and I get, I get where you're coming from with that. I thought more like a lock-in situation, like Starship Troopers or something like that, with overhead like pull down or straps or whatever else. Less like a, a free sitting living room situation. Yeah. Although it could be that too. But because I, I felt like they stood up and like started conf- uh, confronting each other. I thought that happened later. It was still on the bus or on the shuttle. You're right. You're right. 
I love I love the fake conversation with Julian about like chess and like the sports team that he's a fan of. And they talk about the games that they like. Yeah. But just description wise, like I would have been disappointed by it. What do you mean? If he was sculpted to look like this god of a human and he was with these like sniveling scrawny people on the bus, like wouldn't that feel a little bit like I overtrained for this? Well, he was. So he was trained like an iron gold. So I know. I know. I know. Times versus five. But times. I feel like he was probably expecting to see at least a little bit more of a formidable like show. That's that's definitely true. I feel like Cassius is really the only one there and maybe like rokes kind of hiding in the corner to some degree but i really the only people that were presented with in a serious context here is severo julian antonio a little bit and darrow mm-hmm. and they, their perspective is very wildly and like you said i mean <laughs> fucking severo is this like literal shrimp of a gold right uh-huh. I, I like that they call him the ugly kid <laughs> the, <laughs> ugly the kid. princeling like starts at the <laughs> princeling like it's so it's it's interesting to see that just that juxtaposition of the two characters yeah <laughs> and in his language too like Severo's language is just so like hot right so it's you know it's last test you idiot and the best secret this side of the rings around octavia loon's cooch <laughs> it's just like oh <laughs> funny clever <laughs> absurd <laughs> obtuse cool I kind of yep, like exactly, yeah. You know, just like he says at the bottom, his name is Severo, and I like his angle. <laughs> it's good. It's good. You know exactly. I was going to point that out if you didn't. What a, just that that phrase? <clears throat> what do you think of the bus people outside of obviously not intimidating? Um, they felt like children. Yeah, like it, it felt like, and obviously Darrow's only sixteen years old. But as pointed out before, based on just the the way his society works, he's a fucking adult mm-hmm. and all of his peers now are children. And it shows in their in their reactions, in their squabbles, in their conversations like he is way more mature mm-hmm. than everyone else he's dealing with so far at this point. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Even even Cassius, like he's a little bit more intelligent and a little bit more refined in the way that he speaks, but he's still a girl crazed teenager, which I guess you could probably say the same for Darrow, but he's never had the luxury to have girls to chase after really like they do into puberty. Mm hmm. He did. He he talks about like when he was a kid chasing after girls, but he was married by 16. He was in one of the most dangerous positions on the planet by 13. Like he's at such an accelerated maturity arc. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no doubt in my mind that Darrow is much more mature than everyone else. And given kind of the sort of age range at this point, I think we're talking about a one or two year difference in net age, but Mm -hmm. in reality, you're talking about like a 10 year maturity gap at least, at least with kind of the brutal realities. And also some of that is, is the coddling of gold society, right? For these kids. Definitely, definitely interesting, especially presented with Julian, the sort of like just good kid for the most part. Like obviously he's a part of a bad society, but he's a good kid. He doesn't have a choice in that. Right. Truly. Right. Especially later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
What, so we, we do get a description of them coming in on the area, right? It's very brief at the top of 120. It's, uh, it's they're going to Aegea, which is the city that was previously mentioned by Cassius. And they, they land in the entire area that it occupies or is a part of is Valles Marineris, which is about the size of the United States. It is an actual valley on Mars. That is about the size of the United States. Okay. Just like a canyon, right? That's a countrywide. Kind of nuts yeah. to think about. Really cool to look at the pictures, though. I'd highly recommend just a quick Google on that. It's uh, it's yeah, good. I'll, uh, I'm not take, saying you have to do that right now. It's more to more to people. Not right now. Fans. Yeah. But yeah, I will. Definitely Absolutely. do it. So Nero. I'm assuming I know what you're talking like, I th- knowing pictures of Mars and like all the pictures I've looked at of Mars, I th- I'm pretty sure I know exactly what you're talking about. I just didn't know the name of it. Yeah, I didn't know this one, um, just for comparison context, but okay. it doesn't make it any less like you pr- you might know it. You probably know it. But we learned we learned a lot from uh, Nero's speech standing in front of here that we didn't get in the initial prelude. Right. So it kind it kind of we have differing perspectives from the prelude to here. Right. It's not like it was copy pasted from here to the beginning of the book. It's kind of like this. Is this the same speech? No. Well, I I mean, it's not the same. Like, is it supposed to be the same scene between the two speeches? That's a good question. Or is it is this is the speech at the introduction a separate speech that will happen at a different time in the story? I feel like obviously so word this, for word, it's so, not the same, but so power must be claimed. Wealth one ruled dominion empire purchased blood. You scarless children deserve nothing. Right. So it's clearly before they earn scars. So there's a lot in your speech, like we were talking about. Uh, it, it does vary from the intro speech, but we learn of all of these specific places. We get kind of a picture of the other institutes, right? Which I thought mm-hmm. very interesting. Um, we learned that there are two institutes on Earth, one on Luna, one on the gas giant moons of Europa, uh, of the Asteroidian Greek cluster and the Asteroidian Trojan cluster of Mercury, of Callisto, of the joint venture of the Enchiladas in, in Haladas. I hope it's said differently than Enchiladas. Um, <laughs> and Ceres and the far pioneers of Hildas. It's like Pluto doesn't have one, but pretty much everything else that you can imagine in the solar system has one. Right. That's inhabitable, um, which is interesting. <sighs> there are so much of this is it reads like a fascist speech, like it should. But also, there is something at the core of fascism that is obviously inspiring. And that's part of what he's like leaning into here is that there is this kind of like big grandeur sense, but we're on the wrong side of the coin. So we don't see the grandeur, right? We're not being presented with it because it's not our perspective and it shouldn't be. Um, But all the other golds are sitting there, obviously worshiping everything that he's saying. And we're given the opposite perspective of like, oh my God, please don't discover me as a fraud. Please don't figure it out. Right. And on 121, one of the lines that I really like as well is, the ships are like specks of silver in an ocean of ink, and I am so much less. Yeah. Huh. 
Just <laughs> so good. So good. Um, and he breaks it up into savagery, ascendance, and decadence. The great rise because of the savagery, they rule in ascendance, they fall because of their own decadence and kind of breaks up societies in that way. It's just good. Right. The use of the term decadence is not lightly used here. Like they, he, he uses decadence quite a bit when talking about the golds from, from the beginning. Yeah. Well, because the peerless but, guard are their superior, right? And pixies are the epitome of decadence. Right. And even the bronze. Yeah. Like, it's just both are, both are bad in that way. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so good. He also, like, shits on EO here. Martyrs, you see, are like bees. Their only power comes in death. How many of you would sacrifice yourself not to kill, but merely hurt your enemy? <laughs> You're saying that all that EO did is, like, poke you with a sharp stick? Like... Oh, okay. Like we know it's we know it's penetrated into the gold hierarchy based on the um the girl humming Eo's song mm-hmm. in the locker room. Like we know it's we know it's truly more influential than what he's making it out to be. But um you can truly like feel- propaganda, I guess is wrapped into this speech as well oh, of course it is and on top of that we're obviously perspective or like shown darrow's perspective you can literally like feel his hate seethe off the page <laughs> it feels like yeah. it literally like lifts off the page and just smacks you in the face but it, it's also been written this whole book has been written in such a way that like we feel that too mm-hmm. right like, we kind of are darrow we- it's not it's not as though yeah. it's second person, but because of how tight right. the perspective is on Darrow versus other first person narratives, it does feel like you are Darrow. Exactly. So even before he talks about the the hate that he's feeling, I felt it too. Yeah, I mean, you only read this like two and a half hours ago, so you probably yeah. felt it pretty recently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we started this recording two hours and 26 minutes ago, so two and a half hours ago sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you think of the draft? <laughs> we, we move on from the speech into the draft of the houses, right? What do you think of the draft? Uh, it was a cool idea. Like, it was a cool way to do it. Yeah. I, w- I wish, the one thing I wish was, a little bit more description on like what his stats actually read as. Hmm. Yeah. Not, not that it matters that much because we understand that he was very high in most of like, he, he mentioned the, the subjects and topics that he was very highly ranked in, Mm -hmm. but it it would have been cool to see like a data card. Ooh. Yeah. That would be like, like physically and to compare it directly to the data card of the two people sitting directly next to him Mm -hmm. but they don't actually go into any actual numbers which i feel like is the right move unless you're really prepared to stand by flesh out an actual system forever right then you have to adhere to whatever rules you're putting in place and that's an undertaking man like that would take a a couple full days of writing out like the rules and the uh, the scales mm-hmm. of all of the rankings. 
So it makes sense to not like explicitly call out exactly what his <laughs> ranks were, but I really wanted to see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we kind of see different groups move between, right? So we see Apollo approach. Um, we see Minerva for a brief period and then we get Mars, right? Which there's some irony in Mars showing up, right? For a guy who's the son of Aries. Like, it's kind of funny. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. Their, their sort of identifying trait is rage. With the rage knight, yeah. Lorne, Al, Al Arcos. Mm. Which Al is just used as a bridge to the last name. Of. Yeah. That's of, correct? Yeah. Right. He was picked 10th. Which out of a thousand out of technically twelve hundred. So it does say out of a thousand, but it says before and after twelve hundred. But I feel like a thousand was just used for the weight. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it definitely puts a lot of merit. And we are we're also introduced to our first Olympic night, which was mentioned earlier. And that's Lauren, like you'd mentioned, the Rage Knight, third greatest man on Mars. His presence is sort of a gnarled and intimidating I kind of think like an oak tree to some degree or a willow tree, you know, how they like grow over time and grow over themselves and everything else. Mm-hmm. And we also get Fitchner, <coughs> who's interesting. What do you what do you think? Of, what do you make of those two characters? So I, I think okay. the thing with Fitchner that's really definitive is he talks about how quickly House Mars generally burns out because they generally choose the kids and... Right. You know, Napalm lasts about and then snaps, you know? Yeah. And um, uh, he chooses and Darrow. God, it sounded it. so perfect. It sounded so perfect for Darrow. Yeah. But yeah, the, the choice to kick him in the shin mm-hmm. after he explicitly said, if you punch me back, like, I'll have you dragged out of here. But he didn't punch him back. He kicked him in the shin, which is defiance by not breaking the rules at its best. I guess. Yeah. What is it? My statistically, my statistics. Supposedly, I am very rash and have upper outlier characteristics in intuition and loyalty and most notably rage. (laughs) Which, you know, (laughs) tracks. Yeah, it does. Hope you're available next round from the uh, Mercury. Yeah, from Mercury. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was. It's interesting to kind of think about it. The, the way that I pictured the scene is the way in like the very first Star Wars movies, the way that the Senate chamber is depicted with like people floating around and like coming up and then floating. Yes. Away. Like it was very much this like large, wide open room. But they're just kind of where there. all the all the E.T. aliens are sitting. <laughs> yeah. In one of the shots. God. Yeah. yeah that's uh, exactly what I was thinking. Right. Of. Right. It's this like giant was, wide open room. Sort sort of similar to that, but like half of it. Yeah. Just instead of having like a full circular auditorium, just half with the stage up front yeah. and like a half circle around it. Um, that's exactly how it is, how I imagined it as well. Not with the E.T. characters, you fucking weirdo. But <laughs> you said that, not me. No, but you said you said you said the Senate from Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Peter. I'm putting this on you. <laughs> um. Okay. Maybe I imagined the E.T. people. I didn't. Yeah. But so so the characters I are interesting introduced here. Um. But then we we move in. We move after he gets drafted into his classmates. Right. So the people yeah, that are going the, to be with him. We also get very much so sort of Harry Potter style 
True. feast. Yep. Yep. With a giant fucking table with 1,200 students at it. And the concept of primus also for their individual houses, right? We now know that. So I didn't one- quite understand that. That is, uh, I, under- I, I understood the idea behind it, but the way he described it was with him as a negative one. A single bar floats to the right of my name. A negative one floats to the left. The first to get five bars becomes primus of the house. And then it later says a negative five floats behind or beside her name. It is the second closest score to mine at the table. But later on, like the next page or a page or two later, he talks about like other people with different scores by their names that are like clearly closer than that. Uh, a minus six shines or shines or shimmers by his broad smile. Blah, blah, blah. But there's one that has like the exact same like bar in A minus one. And that's never mentioned. Yeah. So um, I see a small kid from the shuttle servo at the very foot of the table. Severo. Sorry. Uh, The salt of the earth is not making friends. And neither am I. Cassius glands at my minus minus one. Oh, nope, nope, nope. That's different part there's someone else that has yeah there's one with a minus six which is lower because they fucked right up, but there's there's somebody with a bar and a minus one also coming. isn't there yep so the, yeah so another boy sits directly across from me minus one and a golden bar floats by his name but he had already said that the minus five beside her name is the second closest score to his oh second closest that'd be the guy that shares a score with him yeah i guess yep which i think okay. is roke right no, Priam. It's Priam. Priam. Yeah. 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 So I, I think I just misunderstood. I misinterpreted it it's with the term very, next closest, very second closest to mine. This this entire thing is kind of difficult to track. But the point being, yeah. the first of five bars ends up being in charge. So where's the minuses come in? I think it was. I think it's supposed to be dash one. But honestly, I don't remember. Like, I, I don't think it's supposed to be minus one. I feel like it's supposed to be dash one. Because it's, it's okay. more of a marker of where you're at in the overall hierarchy. So not a marker. That's why they're both at dash one is because they're tied for they're first. They're both at, but they're, they're dash one with a golden bar. Yes, they both have golden bars, but you can be lower for other reasons before the bars come into play. Okay. That's why they're like yeah, dash sixes and dash five. I would like I would like a like a, a breakdown of how that ranking system totally, actually. Totally, totally agree. It does come in a little bit. Um, not to totally switch it, but I do feel like that is one of the tougher parts to follow right here. Um, so I assumed it was dashes until I saw that like he was higher than other people and had a one. So I thought it was maybe minuses until like you realize that he has to climb to five and some people are at six and it's like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how do the bar, like how do, how do the dash numbers equate to bars? Like, do you get to like dash 10 and then suddenly you have a bar and then you start at dash one again to get your second bar when you get to dash 10? It'll maybe it'll definitely something be, like that. it'll definitely be trackable in a, in a bit. I think more important. Well, it's not right now, and that's frustrating. I I, um. <laughs> I, I understand. It. It's supposed to be like tied for first. I think at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they're they're all not all, but uh, Priam and he are dash one. 
for that okay. reason, for that rationale. But we also get introduced to a ton of characters. We get Priam. We get we obviously have met Cassius before. We get Clown, Pebble, Weed, Thistle, Screwface, Roke. Um, we get a ton of names. Screwface immediately reminded me right. of Taserface for the record. From <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Screwface. Screwface is good. Face. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Um Little Pebble. Mm-hmm. Little pebble, thin weed. Bronzy looking fellow. Clown because of that ridiculously puffy hair. Boy, you're thistled because your nose looks hooked as one. And yeah, bronzy looking fellow. Like, that's I, I know this is a table with like 1,200 kids at it. And they're looking at people at the end of the table. So I guess, are the are they speaking in, are they close enough where these people can hear them? It kind of seemed like they were, but at the same time, it seemed like they I, weren't. I feel like they were addressing them because they were on, they were near the end of the table, not in the middle. So the, right. the thing that I would say here too is that it's likely but that the closer you get the, out to the edges, the more foreign you are to society versus the orates who are probably in the middle, because that's how everything else in society works, right? Yeah, but like, how far away would you have to be to be like three hundred people away? I don't think these folks are 300 people away, but obviously that's a, that's a long way. Uh, okay. I mean, either way, like you're talking a couple of football fields worth of space. Yeah, exactly. So I, I guess it's probably not a singular table yeah. that they're sitting at. It's probably a couple. I do. Um, I do imagine this very much like a the intro to Harry Potter sort of thing. Right. But even that, it'd be like, tough to talk from one end of the table to the other but at the, that said within the second last last paragraph on 130 boy you you're the thistle or you're thistle because your nose look hooked and or your nose looks hooked as one <laughs> like clearly he's talking to this person that he's giving the nickname to yeah because they're at the end of the table for the most part i think Okay. I think they're all near the end. And so all the runts, so to speak, are kind of caught in House Mars or the House Mars area. Not that all of them are. I think they might all be grouped by house at this point, but all the runts are kind of. No, they side. are. Yeah. These, this is all Mars. Yeah. Everyone that's in this Perfect. area so is House point Mars. Point reiterated, there are only max 100 people at this table. So they're probably on the runt side, so to speak. Addressing a hundred isn't easy, obviously. You're right. It's, it's a big You're deal. right. I was thinking for whatever reason, I would like in my head, I had twelve hundred. And That's, I knew twelve hundred was the total, but for some reason I transferred that over as like twelve hundred is the intro class to the to the Mars house. Which isn't the case. So it's a hundred. All right, we got so it's fifty people. Yeah. It's on each side. Right. Never mind. No, no, no. From, from the center, there's fifty each side, which makes sense. Um, yeah. So we there, there's a couple of interesting conversations that happen down, but none more interesting than the conversation when Julian and Cassius address each other, and we learn that they're twins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That just makes things motherfucking awkward later. And I think this is where we can move to the passage, unless you have other thoughts. Nope, we're good. Cool. We're move on. All right. So 
the passage, right? Um, it, it seems like a clear call out from the title and everything, right? It's it is the passage to manhood or something like that. It's a test. It's a test to a passage to the right to become a peerless guard. And it is fully brutal, drug out of their rooms into a small. He stabs them. Cave like corridor. Yeah, stabs. <laughs> he, does, he does stab them back and they're kind of like. <laughs> swat away. Um, and then he kind of realizes what's going on. And he's like, oh, they've never dealt with like shit like this before. Yeah, and at first Darrow's This is just me in my fry suit. This is me drilling. Like, it's fine. Right. Whatever. And, and Darrow's totally panicking. He's like giggling he's, while he's being dragged. Well, he's struggling. He's giggling a little bit later. At first, he's like, I, I've, I've lost. I've been caught. Like, I'm out. I, I, right. I Initially. And then he's right kind of like laughing at it a little bit after when he's like, oh, they actually don't know. They're crows. They're stupid. The obsidians, they're crows. <laughs> um, which is definitely interesting. But then they mm. they literally strip them of everything, right? The two of them. Right. God, it gets brutal. And uh, they're, they're both naked. Colton here, Julian, I chuckle as I stand, unclenching my left hand from the dirty red Helldiver sweatband. My voice echoes, we're both naked. I fake a limp with my right leg. I know what this is. It's like, the I know what this is. It's just, yeah, whoa. <laughs> There's just this accepting brutality. And I know that I talked about this in the first episode with you, but the idea of this starting as kind of a young adult novel, as it does in the first hundred pages or so, and then graduating very quickly to an adult horror show is very real. And this is sort of that yeah. first incident. Um, But I don't think it makes, I don't think it excuses i guess i don't know I, I i don't think excuses is the right term but it makes it makes the first couple the first section stand out even more as less than the writing style of the rest of the book so far you know i i can definitely see that and agree with it i think it's not that dissimilar from um and i've only i've very limited exposure to game of thrones because i actually don't like martin's writing for the most part I haven't read any of Which it. Which is, I yeah, so. of course you haven't read anything since high school. So, um, <laughs> of course, uh, uh, it was. I mean, it was I'm just going to say that about everything that you bring up. Let everything you bring up. Let the record show it's been out for. Is going to be now. like, oh, I don't think I've read that before. It, it feels like a pre Daenerys pre her rape and then post her like initial assault. She's a lot more real as she faces the world. Real is wrong, but she she addresses it with a sort of cruelty of the loss of innocence and we yeah lose but but is that addressed the first 80 pages so is the, does the writing style itself change too though oh yeah yeah because it's it's a perspective based writing style right so as the perspective right. oh, okay the okay changes, that's different i feel like that's different no i feel like that changes here though too it does too but also the writing style itself becomes more mature not just the the topic of which he's writing. Yeah, right. But the, but the actual, like... Language. Refinement. Right. And language seems to be more polished. Which happens here as well, right? Like, that's... Are we No, specifically with here. Specifically with oh, here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, that's the exact Whereas same thing that happens. I, do, I can't speak so to Game of Thrones. I, I'm, and, I'm just saying... And how it's is, written before. Darrow's same sort of loss of innocence moment oh okay 
I think we're talking about two different things. Um, There is a difference between the way in which the protagonist responds and acts and thinks and the actual writing style. Mm. Oh, that also, that also changes of the book itself. That, that, so I, I feel like it would have been a little bit stronger if the writing style stayed consistent while he was still able to shift the way of thinking like it, it it just felt like the first chunk of this book i'll, I'll say was very much reading. an early writing i'll say keep no I, I get that i no, get no. that you're, you're so you're we, we talked to, like you can't not be but i am i am i'm gonna read all of these because i already bought them and uh we're doing this but we talked about this beforehand in that like I don't like if if this was a book that I just picked up randomly without any other pretense and I read the first section, like our first recording, I don't think I would have continued. Hmm. Okay, it it just the way it was written was it, it seemed it seemed like I wasn't the target audience of it. And it seemed like it was written in sort of a faux Shakespeare style that would appeal mostly towards like early high school students. And that changed entirely in this section of the book. And it has wholeheartedly gripped me, but I was not sold on this in the first section. You know, and I think that's something that the marketing department of the publishers probably grappled with, too, is this could do really well marketed to YA audiences, but then at the same time, it's far more adult than it appears. Um, So it kind of adventures. I think this is the only book that's even questionable in that nature. And really, I really no, I know, I, I know, but but damn, is that a book that you kind of want to be the one that grabs? No, I, I definitely is the first in a series I of totally five. Totally agree, and I feel like that's why some of the initial claims in the front of the book are also so important in the back of the book. Having Terry Goodkeen's absolutely endorsement is insane. Uh, comparing it to George R. R. To- or not George, uh, uh, from uh, Game of Thrones is insane. Like it just those kind of like weighty backwards for the entire story are important. Um, it is. And like I said, like I am so glad I continued to read it because, you know, this is effectively like what we've signed on to do. But beyond that, I'm genuinely enjoying it now. Whereas the first chunk straight up, I don't think I would have continued it. Fair, fair. So we, yeah. we've only got a couple of pages here left for the breakdown. Then we'll ask uh, the future questions, which are pretty limited. We answered a number of them going through the episode. Um, you know, we, we get a couple of brutal lines. There, there were a couple that you called out literally on while we were talking before the episode, while you were finishing up the page, um, the pages. Like, I am Darwin's scythe is something that I wrote down immediately. Yeah, that, that yep. sort of eugenic calling of the golds. And that's what this mm-hmm. passage really is, is a having of the kids that go into the Institute. 
So of the people that go through, everyone is going through the passage and they have to choose to kill the other person. And that puts the number down so, to so this, this to 600 is, immediately. I guess I, I thought about the halving part, like the 50-50 chance thing. Um, but I, the fact that it was just him and the other student, Julian, made me wonder if this was something that was presented to every student or only because he talks about it being kind of a lopsided thing. But Severo also like it, says it, it, he Severo knows about the passage as well. He does, but that could just you're right. He's, he's it was mentioned like to them, test. right? So, and it was, but it. It seemed like it was clearly demarcated, clearly like a like there were there was somebody they were expecting to win. And it was more of a test to whether or not that person could actually go through with killing someone Fair. rather than a fight to the death. The stronger goes on. Right. Like it was more one of these students is fodder for the the gumption of the other. Fair. Fair. I, there, there are lines oh. in this page that are just important to list. Um, I'm a naked child slapping another naked child in a cold room. Yeah, rage overtakes me. My face goes numb. My heart thunders. It's in my throat. My veins prickle. And I truly, I know this from my own writing experience, but an inferior author would have made all of that one sentence with commas. But the periods just like take you out of it. They really like stop each Fucking staccato. I, I, I'm sure there's a there's a phrase or term that can be used to properly describe that style of writing. But the way you and I have always talked about it has been staccato sentences. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's seriously my favorite way of like conveying thoughts and emotions. Mm-hmm. Within prose. Yeah. And in this last this last section, this last page, tears stream down my cheeks. He's twitching. When I grab his golden hair, I find him already limp, like a wet golden feather. Blood pulses from his mm-hmm. nose. He is quiet. He no longer moves. No longer smiles. I mutter my wife's name as I fall at the cradle of his head. His face has become like a blood blossom. Yeah. End scene. I mean, e- even before that, calling him a... Uh, um, basically a wet noodle like uh, no a, a bloody golden feather or something yeah. like that what wet golden feather like just so wet a wet golden feather Oof. Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal man yeah what what okay but, so we've i've got like two questions for you in the pj's predictions thing so i want your reaction to the brutality of this last section okay so there is all right so just to read out loud pj's predictions out of the characters we've we've been introduced to, who ends up being Darrow's most likely allies, his most likely enemies? And I feel like I have one answer to that for both questions, and that's Cassius. His most likely ally and enemy. Yeah. Okay. Because he's been the person that he's bonded with so far. It seems like Cassius but he also just has taken a liking to him. Exactly. Is that going to be known information? Are they going to know who they faced? Like, is that going to be published anywhere? Is that going to be told by anybody other than the people there themselves? It's something It's something different if that's told outside of the room as though it's leaked or like it's published versus it's 
Right. Any one of the 600 kids that survived could have killed Julian, you know? Mm -hmm. So the the Cassius character is entirely volatile on friend or foe based on that sort of knowledge being available to most likely enemy. I don't think the that girl that they kind of mutually dislike each other. Antonia. That seems like more of just kind of an indifference. It's general intent. They don't seem, but like not a, yeah, not a friend, not a foe, just kind of maybe, maybe some, um, competitive antagonism between the two, but it seems like mostly they're going on their own paths and they won't really get in each other's way. They don't really seem to care that much about each other. What's his name on the bus? Um, Roker Severo. Roker. Roke? The the Roke. small dude is Severo. Um, I think Roke and Severo will both, if they both survive the uh, the test, I think they'll both kind of end up on the friend side of things. Mm-hmm. Because they seem like outcasts a little bit. Yeah. Rook, and that Rook seems that to be something. And uh, yeah. Severo is. Exactly. So if there's any sort of openness, I think I think Darrow will be cautious to, but interested in forming alliances with both of them. That makes sense. Straight up enemies. I can't really I can't really think of like I, I'm sure. There will be some of the people, but he, they haven't really dwelled on people that's really rubbed him the wrong way yet. I definitely, so. definitely agree with you. There, there's been no one outside of like Antonia, kinda, but that's really it. But that, but that seems more. That's more like a more like apathy than anything else. Yeah, right. It seems more like we don't get along, but we don't not get along. Let's just kind of go our own separate ways and stay out of each other's hair. Definitely. What do you predict, if anything, for the next section? Hmm. Vague predictions. Training. I think uh, training classes more. uh, I bet bet he gets into a couple fights. Extracurricular (laughs) extracurricular fights Mm -hmm. um, within the school, but. I think for the most part, it'll be really kind of digging into the lifestyle of the golds at the Institute. Interesting. That they found themselves. That's an exciting prediction, PJ. What, to, uh, I mean, all right. So part three, gold. Yep. I haven't read the small Go ahead. quote yep. below it, but uh, all right. All right. I will. This is your sling blade, son. It will scrape the earth's veins for you. It will kill pit vipers. Keep it sharp, and if you get stuck in the earth's er, and if you get stuck in the drills, it will save your life for the price of a limb. So said my uncle. All right. So this school it's more illusion. Would you call it a school? Yeah, it's a training ground for sure. For the sake of this, this this is a school. This school is his drill, mm-hmm. and the classmates are the are the pit vipers. He's got a claw moth for the sake of maybe losing something he cares about. Yeah, at the expense of yeah. losing something. 
So I think I think that's what will end up happening. Approaching it that way. That's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's I, I'm excited to see how you like peel back the layers of the, the next chunk and then your expectations going forward. So I'm I'm very excited yeah. for the way that this all opens up for you. So with that, next week we'll be reading up to chapter 29. That's page 218. Thank you for listening to Words and Whiskey. We hope you've built up a tolerance to us. Subscribe to us on your preferred platform like Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or whatever else you use. And check us out at our website, wordsandwhiskey.show. We filled our top shelf with our favorite cocktail recipes as well as other important information for you. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at wordswhiskeypod. All those links and more can be found in our show notes. A five-star rating on the platform of your choosing goes a long way to springing us up on them leaderboards and getting us noticed. We're just two dudes helping encourage people to read and get out of their comfort zone while thinking critically about literature. Thanks for listening, and we bloody damn better see you next week.